1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. To Saul, Samuel said, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. I realize that Brother Jury uh, spoke on this passage last Wednesday. I listened to his message. It was outstanding. I want to continue the theme of obedience and submission from the word of God. And uh, he and I discussed this uh, before he ministered this last Wednesday. It was what he was feeling and I'm feeling it too. And I want to talk to you about the wisdom of submission. And you can be seated. God bless you for standing such a long time. I want to do a quick review uh, on behalf of what Brother Jury preached and taught last Wednesday night. King Saul of Israel was anointed king when he was small in his own eyes. That's when God exalted him to be a king. But what changed in his life? The rationalizing of God's command through the prophet Samuel to spare King Agag and the choice of the flock, the best of the best, and destroyed everything that was easy to kill, the refuse, the animals that were not the best, the people that were not the leaders. And Alan Oggs preached years ago, the sin that wears the golden crown, the thing that's hard to kill for us that we really want to spare in our lives. So I want you to look at this. We just read this text, but Samuel tells Saul that to obey is better than sacrifice in verse 22. And then he said that rebellion is like witchcraft, that stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. To obey is better. The Lord chooses obedience over sacrifice, but sacrifice is often an expression of obedience, but sacrifice without obedience does not buy anything from God. You cannot pray and fast and give and disobey God's word and have his favor in your life. If you want the blessed life, it is a life of obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So rebellion, the Samuel says, is like witchcraft. Now that sounds kind of bizarre, doesn't it? Like Seeking the devil, rebellion is like that. And stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry to set up an idol that is ahead of God in your life. We're familiar with the term, a kindred spirit. We'll say, well, they're, they're kindred spirits. But Samuel, through the anointing of the Lord, says to Saul, there are some things that are kindred spirits. Rebellion is a kindred spirit to witchcraft. And stubbornness is a kindred spirit to iniquity and idolatry. And disobeying the word of the Lord, rejecting God's word in your life, has the consequence of God rejecting you. That's what happened to Saul. Now, witchcraft is divination. It is consulting the voice of the devil. And if you don't want to hear the voice of God in your life, you may think there are many other voices but ultimately, there's probably, not probably, there are just two. 
It is either the voice of God through His Word, through His Spirit, through His anointed leadership, and that includes a spiritual authority, but also civil authority and domestic authority. Uh, those uh, established authorities in your life, and I'll either get to that later or maybe next week. Saul's rebellion was a rejection of the word of the Lord. So I want to continue in this theme, but I want to kind of look at this from the why behind it. Uh, Brother Jerry did a tremendous job of giving you biblical frameworks and texts in the Bible that to obey is better. But why in the mind of God did he say this? What is God aiming for? And what's the big picture biblically behind all of this? Uh, in a time before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, Satan fell from God's favor. His pride led to rebellion. And then he led an insurrection where apparently, and we'll look at these verses later, a third of the angels defected with Satan. And so began the saga of human history that will end in all things being brought back under his feet, the authority of God Almighty for all of eternity. And Satan and all of those who do not live and die in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ are going to be banished to everlasting torment in a lake of fire forever and ever. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? You either serve God, you serve the devil, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's only two eternal destinations there's not a warm rock in hell. There's no in-between place. No other eternal abode of every human soul that has ever lived. I want to talk to you because I feel like it's important for us to have a little understanding. Because every one of us has a lot of self-will in us that has to be crucified. Probably on a regular basis. Maybe that's just me and not you. I've taught about this through the years, but I, I want you to see this in the Word of God, that the essence of sin is not robbing a bank or killing someone or committing an immoral act. The essence of sin, if you boil it down and you look back far enough, it is that desire for autonomy, that I am going to run my own life. I'll be the CEO of my own corporation and I may or may not give you a vote, but ultimately your vote doesn't count. It's what I want to do, and I will do it my way, live my way. And if it suits me to go along with whatever is being taught or preached or a law, fine. But if not, I'm just going to ultimately do what I choose to do. This spirit of autonomy is aligned to the sin of Satan that led to the fall of one-third of the angels, the entrance of sin, and the epic struggle between good and evil. To think that there is nothing objectively good or nothing objectively evil is really naive. It's amazing when I hear people say that, you know, for example, with the issue of abortion, that a woman has control of her own body, but that means that the baby has no rights. If you play that out logically... If I have all the rights and that life, that other life does not, then what if I decide to kill someone? It's something that I want to do that pleases me and I want to do what really fits my rights and I'm going to disregard the rights of others or steal or break any 
one of the other Ten Commandments that Brother Graham preached about on Sunday so ably. When you're studying a biblical theme, it's always best to me to go back to the origins of that subject and find what are the biblical roots, what's behind all of that, and the struggle between good and evil have their genesis in the fall of Satan. Brother Dave Norris, Dr. Dave Norris, wrote an amazing book, Life, Death, and the End of the World, and he dealt with this topic among many other things. This apostolic theologian, who was here last May to teach on biblical prophecy, wrote about a double fulfillment. So in the book of Isaiah 14, in the book of Ezekiel 28, there are two ungodly Gentile kings that are compared to Satan. The passages talk about these two kings, and they also talk about Satan or Lucifer, Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Tyrus. Now in the Bible, Satan is known by many other names. Satan, Lucifer. He's called the tempter, Beelzebub, the enemy, the evil one, Belial, the adversary, the deceiver, the dragon, the father of lies, a murderer, a sinner, and in a vast majority of the passages, over 70 out of 83, he's either referred to as the devil or Satan, but he is all the same being, and he is up to no good. Jesus said that the thief, he calls him the thief, is come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Of course, Jesus has come to give us life, and that more abundantly. Now, there was a minute, in Satan's existence, that he thought he was as good as God, as smart as God, as powerful as God. So why should he, in all of his glory and splendor, be subordinated to someone that he saw as his equal? So, this double reference to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in Isaiah 14, we'll go straight to verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And then the Lord tells this conversation that Satan has had with himself, Lucifer. For you have said in your heart, you just kind of came to this own conclusion Inside of yourself. This is how to make really bad decisions. To just say within yourself, I think this, or I think that. I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that without consulting a higher authority, and I'm primarily referring to the Bible. Satan says in his own heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne Above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will. Everybody please say, I will. That is the essence of sin. It is autonomy. Running your own life. Choosing your own destiny. Doing whatever you want to do because you think you're big enough and bad enough to do it. And no one is going to tell you what to do. That's I will. Sit on the mount of the congregation. Verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. 
Now, eventually, you know, God created us in His image. And ultimately, we're going to be like Him. We will see Him as He is. But Satan is going to make himself equal to God. Now, this is a dangerous place. And verse 15, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the New King James says, to hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, you may wonder how violent this struggle was between God and this angelic being, Lucifer. How long did it last? Did it go 10 rounds, 15? Was it a technical knockout? What was the outcome of this? Jesus said it like this in Luke 10 and 18. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. We get this idea. People get this idea They know that God is here and Satan's just a little bit beneath him in power. But I want you to understand this. When God said, you're out of here, his fall was like lightning. Amen. God has all power. Amen. And whatever power Satan has is delegated power that comes from God. That kind of rebellion could not exist in earth. And according to Revelation 12 and 9, Satan and these angels were cast down to the earth. So I want to repeat, the essence of sin is autonomy, the spirit that says, I will. And the result of this spiritual decision of self-rule has its logical progression as rebellion against God. If I'm saying, my will be done, not thy will... I am now rebelling against the will of God and it comes in many forms and fashions and usually it's in some form of rationalization where we make excuses for our actions. So instead of praying as Jesus did, not my will, but thine be done, we pray my will, not thine, be done. So clearly Satan's rebellion against God set the stage for insurrection in heaven and sin on earth. To obey is better because to disobey is the beginning of sin. Now let's go to this second passage, Ezekiel 28. And I'll just say this, uh, Dr. Dave Norris, apostolic writer, you should get this amazing book, Life, Death, and the End of the World. And you will read about this, this double fulfillment Because there are some theologians that limit these passages only to kings of the earth and they miss the double reference and they miss the power of what God is saying in His Word. So he talks about the king Tyrus, but then he turns his attention to the devil himself. Ezekiel 28, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection. Notice this is not about an earthly king as we read through this. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. It seems that that Lucifer was the essence of music. He was like a musical, angelic being. 
You were the anointed cherub who covers like a guardian angel, cherubs closest to Almighty God. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So I know you read that with me. But think about this. Satan was a beautiful creature and he knew it. It's amazing how bad mirrors are when some people are looking at them. For some people they see themselves much worse than they really are. But some people, when they get to a place of pride, whether it's looking at their physical appearance or accomplishments, achievements, intellect, or, you know, whatever it is, all of a sudden it's just, it's so easy. It's amazing how people can become a legend in their own mind, you know? Lucifer really is something. I mean, he really is something. Until he thinks he's really something. Until he thinks that he's too big for God in his life. That he doesn't need to submit to anyone because look at his beauty and splendor. He became pride, proud, excuse me, and he became corrupted by his pride. Someone said there's a pride of race and face and grace. And you can be proud of different things, but pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. All of you Bible readers know this. I know I'm teaching to a very educated audience, and I like that. You're the best saints ever when you do your own Bible study and word of God and prayer. I love it. Amen. So, he was corrupted by his pride. He was perfect until iniquity was found in his heart. Now, the word iniquity means crooked or to deviate from the right. So, here he is going along. He's perfect, but now iniquity is found in him, a form of rebellion where he goes off the path of doing right. So, we have a choice as well. We can demand our own way, that autonomy, self-rule, Or I'm a law unto myself and no one, no one will lord over me. We're so afraid of being taken advantage of in 2020. So afraid of submitting and then going wrong that we go wrong protecting ourselves from the protection that God has provided for us which I will probably not get to tonight so much. Now, human beings can be redeemed, but angels cannot. 
Now, we were made a little lower than the angels according to Psalm 8. But let's look at a few verses real quickly. Jude 1 and 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. No coming back, no Calvary, no sacrifice, no redemption for fallen angels. Second Peter 2 and 4. For if God, this is a warning, by the way, to all of us. For if God spare not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, then he warns us that we not do the same thing. Revelation 12 and 4. And this is that idea, this the hint of scripture, and he his tail, Satan, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered and for to devour her child as soon as it was born. I wanted you to see how it seems that a third of the angels defected with Lucifer. And then Revelation 12, 7 through 9, I want you to see the ultimate destruction. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And as you read through the book of Revelation, we see the total and final destruction of the devil. When I say destruction, everlasting chains of torment forever. Not annihilation, not destroyed and ceasing to exist, and neither will any human being but the Bible is very clear, and I preached on it not too awfully long ago, that it is a place that goes on and on and on in torment. So, here's what we have to decide. Which side do I want to be on in the end? Because in the middle of the game of life, the ebb and flow of life, it often looks like our side is losing. More people are going the wrong way than the right way. It doesn't seem shocking to me when Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. That's the King James words of Jesus. There's a lot of people just flowing, taking the easy path, going with the flow, and they're headed to hell. Hell hath enlarged herself. Straight or skinny is the gate, and Narrow is the way that leads to life eternal and few there be that find it. You're not going to stumble into heaven. You're going to find Him when you search for Him with all of your heart. You're going to have to want to go to heaven if you're going to get to heaven. So we need to ask ourselves every day when we're struggling with our self-will, the desire to be the Lord of our own lives, how do I want this to turn out for me? What's behind this? To obey is better. I know to obey is better, but, but why is to obey better? Is it better for the person that's beating me into submission, or is it, is it really better for me too? So I wanted you to just look at the bigger picture of this tremendous idea that Saul knew good and well to obey is better. And he rationalized and justified 
his behavior when ultimately Samuel said, no, you're just wrong, Saul. You can say whatever you want, but you know what I told you to do. And you found a way to do what you wanted to do. You were afraid of the people. You were proud. proud, And that's not how you started out. Amen. Now, where do I want to end up in the beginning of this? Now, this celestial war moves to do the terrestrial, right? It goes from heaven to earth. So I will, let's go to the Garden of Eden for just a few minutes. And let's see how this... I know you know this story, but never take it for granted. Because you always go to first mention, you always go to the Genesis, to the beginning of a doctrine or teaching to understand the whole of Scripture. You want to see this big picture. Because, and I'll say this now, uh, if, if I were to try to summarize the big picture of the message of the Bible... I would, I would say it like this. I'll, I'll sum it up in a single word in a minute. But in the beginning, everything got out from under the authority of God. Rebelled against God. In the end, everything will come under the authority of God. And the Bible is the story of how it happens. And if you want to sum up this book in a single word, of how you can apply this book to your life, it is submission. Because to obey is better. And there's wisdom to submission. It makes sense. It's not just right, it's also best. So look how this happens. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Hath God said? Now, this is the very first step to undermining the authority of God in our lives. And it is, it is fathered by Satan. He's the father of lies, right? He's a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning. So he just lifts up to Eve. He's more subtle. He's sneaky. Temptation always has the, the component of enticement, right? So we'll get to the enticement part in a minute. But right now, Satan's got to soften Eve up a little bit. He's got to get her listening to his voice and doubting God's voice. So he just throws a question out there. Did God really say that? You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now, this is where it all goes downhill from then till now. Right? Because she starts talking to the devil. She begins to rationalize as if she's going to have a conversation and she's going to, her truth is going to prevail. But now, instead of just saying, as Jesus did, get thee behind me, Satan, right? She's now talking to the devil, debating, arguing with a liar. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither touch it, lest you die. Now, I'm not sure if Adam told her not to touch it. If there's a scripture we don't have, God said don't eat of it. Maybe it was a standard or something. You're like the only way, if Eve never touches it, then she'll never eat it. There's a lot of interesting ideas about why Eve said we're not allowed to touch it 
although Adam was to dress the garden, right? So anyway, and the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That book right there, it's not really true. It, I, know it, I know you think God said that, but what God said is really not true. So first he says, did, did God say that? Oh, yes, he said it. Well, it's not true, Eve. You're not going to die. Now, Eve thinks death is, you know, they, they don't know death. They don't know death, pain, thorns, sweat. They don't know any of those things. So death is a foreign concept. But the Lord said, the day you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. So she knows that if she eats it, she's going to die. But she's never seen anyone die. She doesn't know that death doesn't have to be physical. That death means separation. That when you disobey God, there's something that dies in you. A friend of mine knew better, did something sinful that destroyed his life and family. And he said, when it happened, I felt something die in me. And I thought, oh God. Yes, it did. That was your ministry that died that day. And I can't give you all the context. For God, this is, this is the devil. For God knows. You see, God, he's just trying to like hold you down. Prove he's big and bad. He does not have your best interest at heart, Eve. All of these scriptures, all of these teachings, that is not for your benefit. It's just for somebody else who just kind of wants to lord it over you. Which those who are spiritual leaders are not to lord it over anyone. Right? You shall not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes are going to be open. Everybody wants to be smarter than they are and wiser than they are. Everybody wants their eyes to be open. And Satan tells Eve, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know more than you know now. You're going to be better than you are now. Look at that restrictive life that God has imposed on you. But if you open your eyes, if you get your eyes open, Eve, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be as God's. Knowing good and evil. Now the Bible said in Romans that we are to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. But we just want to touch the wet paint. Oh wait, no, that wasn't wet paint. It was a fruit, right? So, Eve likes that idea. Sounds like God does not have her best interest at heart. And at this moment, Satan's argument sways Eve. Until this time, she's been a good Christian, not really, but a good believer, quoting the Bible, telling the devil what God told her to do. But now she is doubting God's word. She's thinking, you know, maybe he's right. That God's got in this, us in this restrictive relationship and there's more for me. There's a brand new world out there that I'm going to discover that's going to make me better. My eyes will be open. I know you already got that. What kind of God is he really withholding good from his people? I can't, but it sounds like God is just trying to keep me from knowing too much and becoming my best me. 
what if God, what if what God said is not really true? How will I ever know till I try it? Which is a horrible fallacy. And I just quoted Romans, you know. So now the internal and external dynamics of temptation take over and Eve is done. But before, I want to finish this little passage. But I want to read to you the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus. James 1 and 13 about temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every person, every man is tempted, this is how it happens, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So any fisherman out there, there's the bait. But the fish wants the bait. So to say that there is never anything in us that is being drawn to evil is probably being dishonest. Because we're drawn away of our own lust and then the devil does entice us. There's something out there that pulls us externally but there's also something in us that wants it that creates the temptation. Verse 15. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, by thinking that God is the one who is tempting you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. The word is parallax, neither shadow of turning. In 1 John 2, 15-17, I'm not going to go there tonight, but John tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. So Eve is looking at the fruit, right? And now these three components of temptation of lust begin to affect her. And we find it in the temptation of Eve. We find it in the temptations of Jesus. We find it in the writings of John. We find it in our own lives. So this is Eve. So let's go back to Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, everybody please say lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that it was desire in a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, how can you know if a tree is going to be make you wise or not? Somebody planted that idea there. I mean, is it wisdom fruit? What is there? But that's the pride of life, desire to make one wise. And every temptation in the history of the world that anyone has ever faced comes in one of those flavors or all three. The lust of the eye, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's all he's got, but he's been pretty good at getting people to fall for those temptations. We're in this same verse. She took of the fruit, there, took to the fruit, and did eat and gave it unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now we have other scriptures that tell us that Adam was not deceived, but he chose to join his wife in her sin rather than. Stay in truth. So our family, our friends can influence us to do the wrong thing, right? And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. That wasn't what they were looking for. 
And they sewed fig leaves together, man-made religion, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And sin kills Adam and Eve instantly, spiritually. They will later die physically, but the relationship is severed. And this is the setup of the story of the Bible. The sin of Satan in the beginning, his coming to Eve, the temptation, Adam joining in. And when you look at the dynamics at work inside of Lucifer, his I wills, his pride. When you look at Eve, who's trying to get better and be better and doubting that God's way is really the wise way, that submitting to God is not only right, but it's best. When she buys into the lie that if she'll just reject the word of God in her life and just kind of do what has been suggested, what seems logical, rational, and pretty, that she will be better off. And here we are, all these millennia later, living in the same consequence of sin and Adam's disobedience. I want to read a few scriptures about Adam's disobedience and how this plays out. Romans 5 and 12. And what I want you to see is that how disobedience kills you as Adam's disobedience brought sin into all the world and how the obedience of Jesus Christ gave us hope of coming back. All right? Romans 5, 12. And Romans, uh, Romans is amazing, right? But 5 through 8, you ought to just really take some time and read. You can start at 1, but 5 through 8. Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all of sin. We know from Romans 5 that what Adam did back then introduced sin into the world, and death passed upon all men. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that's everybody please say Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, that's Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. To obey is better. There's a wisdom to submission that Jesus came and he reversed what Adam introduced into our world. And if we're going to be on that side, then we need to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are a born again, and I'm talking about Acts 2.38, if you're a born again disciple of Jesus Christ, you find life through submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you submit to His power in your life, He gives you power over sin. If you submit yourself to God, you'll have the power to resist the devil. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due season. Amen. 
Now, I'm not going to go through these verses on the screen, but I want to show you what Jesus did, all right? He lived by every righteous ordinance. He came to John and said, I need to be baptized. And John said, oh no, I'm not baptizing you. You should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness or every righteous ordinance. Here is Jesus coming to submit himself to every righteous ordinance in the Bible. And so he is baptized and there is a voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is pleasing to the father, the the man Christ Jesus. In John 6.38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My meat, my nourishment, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 8.29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. In Luke 22:41, this is a story in the Gospels of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he submitted himself ultimately to the death of the cross when he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Refer to the cross, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. No one will make me die, but I will lay it down of myself. And Jesus, the Bible said in Luke 23, 46, said, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. And Philippians 2 says it all. Philippians 2 on the screen. You can follow along. King James Version. And I added, went back to verse 1 because of Brother Graham's message Sunday because it's related. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So the the subject that Paul is writing about is about selflessness, about loving other people. And then he gives the example of how Jesus came to this earth. Let this mind, this attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. It took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that kind of death. Wherefore, because of that, God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue 
should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not while I was just watching you, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We make that verse a lot of things, but look at the verses that precede this. If I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, I need to humble myself before God and have the attitude that Jesus Christ had. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. I'll stop at this verse. Worship team can come. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Excuse me, let me go back to verse 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. In other words, ultimately, everything comes back under the authority of Almighty God. And the purpose of God in Christ, the purpose of God coming to earth has been served and Almighty God is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I have a lot of those verses in my, my notes from Revelation. But I just want to tell you that there's a wisdom to submission that one of these days when ultimately everything comes back under His authority, it will be heaven or hell. And I want to be on the side of right. The Bible says, and if you don't mind, you can please stand. Colossians 3, we'll put this on the screen, why not? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God in the place of power. Set your affection on things above and not on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. The writer John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. John said, One of these days, we're going to be like Him. We're going to see Him as He is. Paul told Timothy, it's a faithful saying, if we are dead with Him, we shall live with Him. If we suffer with Him, we will reign with Him. If we will submit to Him, we have the power of God working in our lives. Revelation 17, 14. Let's show this on the screen. These shall make war with the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. I'm looking at the called. At the chosen tonight. And I believe we're going to be the faithful. Who understand the wisdom of the word of God. That he has called us into relationship with him. 
not to beat us down or hold us down. But the beauty of submission and obedience is the power of God that is at work in our lives. In Revelation 22, and I'll just get to the sum of this without reading all of this. The Bible said, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. It all started at a garden, at a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Revelation, we're brought back again. And all of those who do His commandments, who submit to Him, His Lordship in our lives, have a right to that tree of life. Have a right to go into the gates, into that eternal city. That's the wisdom of submission. And I want to be called and chosen and faithful. If you have a few moments to come and pray, would you join me at the altar? If you need to go, I understand But I think it would be good right now if we asked the Lord to give us wisdom to see the wisdom of His Word. To see through the schemes of Satan that would try to cast doubt on the Word of God and make us wonder about the motives of God in God's Word. I want to understand the big picture of this Bible. I want to be one of the ones who understand the power of submitting to the authority of God in my life. Let's open our hearts to Him right now. And worship Him like we're going to do forever and ever and ever. shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Bring it back, God. That's why we pray, Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 